Welcome back, everyone. Today I'm with uh, a friend. I've known this man for over two and a half years now, almost three. Damn. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say you're probably one of my longest connections, and you'll always be important to me because I met you during a very pivotal time in my my career and a lot of life choices I had to made make and. I told you like I, I spent my last twenty dollars with like I was broke for four months, couldn't get hired anywhere. At the same time I gotta realize I didn't I just didn't want to work at a McDonald's. I wanted to work at somewhere that I could have got hired at McDonald's, okay. But I wanted to work somewhere that I felt like I was like respected and would push me forward. So I went through a phase of not having a job for like four months and I spent my last twenty dollars to to meet you. That's and so wild. Um, now here we are. I've I've watched you grow and I, I've grown as well, and um, I'm here with uh, Masao Yamamata. How's it going? Do I pronounce your last name right? So we're gonna do this right, right? So uh, very <laughs> few people actually pronounce my name right. Oh, so there's no. multiple pronunciations out there. Um, you say one, which is actually pretty pretty common, Ooh. right on. Um, Masao. So that O oh, becomes shoot. more prevalent. Um, and then other people just call me Maso or Mas. Uh, so I respond to all of them, though. It's not a big deal. Um, Yamada is the last name. I so. just butcher everyone's name. <laughs> and I'm like, this is my best friend. I can't even say his <laughs> <laughs> But to your, uh, to, to your defense, it's not like I ever went into full, like, you know, <laughs> correction of it either. So, yeah. 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 I don't know. There is something about people who, like... I'm a, I'm a not a big corrector myself, but then there are some people who are like, no, this is my name or whatever, and sometimes I'm like, oh fuck, I, then you feel bad. So there's always a time and place yeah. for, but yeah, for sure. For me, it's it's if you see me, you recognize me, yeah. you treat me with respect, then it, you call me what you call me, man. It's all good. We'll we'll, we'll get to the proper pronunciation two and a half years later. Yeah, <laughs> it happens that way. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So yeah, let's start when uh, we met. You were out of uh, the Bellevue Boys and Girls Club. Are yeah. there multiple Bellevue Boys and Girls Club? Or? Yeah, in that in that particular, it's funny because they usually go by counties. Like King County will have like multiple Boys and Girls Clubs, um, but Bellevue itself just had multiple within their mm. own city limits. So uh, they almost became in consideration of being their own county for Boys and Girls Club. Mm. So yeah, I was running out of the teen center back then. And how how did you get your start? Did, were you somewhere before the Boys and Girls Club? And we're talking about Ground Zero Radio. Yeah. yeah. So I've always been working with youth in general, even when I was a youth. So I was mm. running after school programs when I was a senior in high school. And I always knew that youth was something that I was going to be connected to. Um, I've been in the music industry for you know 20 plus years doing uh, management on that end. Mm -hmm. And then when Ground Zero Radio kind of came about was connecting basically both of those worlds together. I did my mm. best to separate them for a while, um, but now it's full force, right? And literally, Ground Zero Radio came into development right when we probably met two and a half years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the Ground Zero program itself, um, the music program has been around for over 20 years, um, and they used to function out of an old building that was in Bellevue, mm -hmm. um, and then they moved the locations over, and then they ended up getting rid of the music program um, which I, a lot of us did not really agree with that mm -hmm. because it was really the foundation of what the teen center was back then. Um, and when they got rid of the music program, that's when I was like, no, we're keeping the name alive, started developing career connected learning, uh, right. through a radio program. 
So wait, so did you come up with the Ground Zero Zero, or that, no, that was already Zero, a name? Ground Zero was a name that we ended up keeping because oh. the youth that were there was like, we don't want to get rid of that name and that persona. Um, so Ground Zero um, music was mm-hmm. in existence, and then when that kind of ended, then we decided we're not going to let the name end. So the youth continued with Ground Zero Radio. And was so was it it was connected to that specific Boys and Girls Club? Yeah, it was connected to that specific Boys and Girls Club. We ended up doing um, internships through Rainier Avenue Radio, which is a community mm. radio station in Seattle. And then it just got to the point for me where I was like, okay, we need to take this somewhere else because the things that they want to be saying and they need to be heard on um, was almost limited within the policies and structures of certain organizations. So yeah. um, we ended up getting a fiscal sponsor, which became the Vera Project. Um, And then the Vera Project is kind of like, we don't want to change the branding. We don't want to do anything. Y'all do you. We'll fiscal sponsor it. I ended up 10K in the hole in the first year. This literally took place during the beginning of the pandemic. So it was like January of pandemic hits. They become fiscal sponsors. And then a year later, you know, I'm like probably close to 10k in the hole and they say hey Moss how are you keeping afloat I'm like out of my pocket and they said no let's stop that so then um, Vera ended up actually uh, making us an official program there so now Ground Zero Radio is directly connected to Vera Project as an official program so almost how I mean you're familiar with radio so almost Mm -hmm. like how the radio stations have iHeart as its big conglomerate and then Underneath it is, you know, 92.5, 1.6, whatever it mm. might be. Um, Ground Zero Radio is like that subsidiary of the Vera Project. Oh shit! I yeah. never. Yeah, that's I... how that's how we that's how we have constructed it, and in that way, for me to explain it to individuals to let them know, like Ground Zero Radio Damn. is a part of the Vera Project. That is so awesome. Yeah. So, you grew up in the south end of Seattle, or did you? you grew I grew up, up into well. I guess I could say I grew up in Tacoma. I was born military, so oh, I, didn't even know I that. was born in Japan. Wow. Um, born in Japan, but then been everywhere from California, Colorado, Hawaii, New York. Um, landed here when I was seventh, like seventh grade. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then technically my middle school to high school years until now I've been here. So do people think you're Japanese when they look at you? Or? Man, I get all kinds. I bet. <laughs> I got all kinds. <laughs> Filipino, definitely like being one. Yeah. I've been asked if I've, you know, I'm Mexican. Uh, but yeah, Japanese sometimes, but then other times not. Like they're way off pace. Yeah. It's all good. You know what's weird? I, fuck, this is weird to say, <laughs> but I actually might, I might be, I might be Puerto Rican. I might not even be black. You know what I mean? And with that, I feel like, I like to think of everyone as just people, you know, but yeah. I feel like at the end of the day, because I walk around and certain people do think I'm black, so I definitely feel like I'm black. Mm-hmm. But what if I get like a, like Ancestry a, yeah, and I'm Puerto Rican or something? <laughs> Have you ever thought about like doing, doing that? So I know my mom, so I was like full Italian. So I know that. But then my grandma, her, she's like Scottish and native american so there's a lot of weird mixes lot but there. so i have no idea wow yeah so i just say i'm black on the whatever the applications whatever you apply <laughs> for though that is so wild to me like yeah. i didn't even realize that you know you, you might have so many mixed backgrounds um yeah and then just like not even knowing it's so weird too because i thought i used to think um so well how how would i phrase this like when I did my podcast at, out of the 92.5, mm. like two years ago, I had this artist named Ellis Prescott on. 
and I made a joke about how his name is like a good resume name because it doesn't sound black or whatever, right? But then I I just realized that every time you fill out a resume, you fill out that you're whatever race you are. And I, I never I I know I always fill that out, but I never put two and two together that even though I could I could have my name's already pretty white or whatever, right? So you can look at a resume and be like, oh, Blake, and then it says black underneath. So it doesn't really matter <laughs> like how white someone's name is sounding or whatever. <laughs> true, true, true. So you Do you land- think it would affect you, though, if you found out that you were of I a different race? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I have. I don't feel like I've... Hmm. I don't know. Maybe culturally I identify with hip-hop and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. like, I'm not... It's it's to the point that like I never say the N word really that people actually get surprised they don't say it so mm. it's enough of a thing where I don't hold ties to that type that type of language or anything but, right so I don't know how it affect it would be I think it goes back to you just earlier saying you know you yeah treat people like people yeah you know? and if they treat you like people then that would be pretty hilarious though yeah <laughs> yeah because also like mixed people who have my hair type my hair type still looks very different than mixed people's other mixed people's hair. So I don't know. I could maybe it's because I'm mixed with a ton of different. I have no idea whatsoever. Well, if you ever do, let me know. Yeah. Did Did you ever Did you ever have like long hair? Uh, I did. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People will see uh, like old pictures of me with the with the hair that like the the comb over this way. Uh, yeah. This has been a look. I guess not too recent, but it's it's been a look in the later part of my life. But um, yeah, I used to be very. Uh, the good hair day, bad hair day kind of person. Yeah. That was me, man. Like yeah. I would, I would be concerned about how my hair was looking on certain days, and then I had the product for it, and it's just like, got to the point where um, I was like, this is too much. Yeah. Just took it all off. And Dang. Never look back on it now. Brand you know, saved me some money too. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you you came here in seventh grade. Did you mm-hmm. did you go to college in Washington or? Yeah. So I actually went to a two year first. So I went uh. to Pierce College, and then um, went to PLU for. Like a quarter, and then decided, eh, you know, not really my bag. And then ended mm-hmm. up during that time frame, though, I took multiple internships, marketing internships, started building my network out. Um, mm-hmm. And this is right around the time that I was going into the music industry. So there was a uh, independent label out of San Francisco that was looking to branch and work with artists out here. Mm-hmm. Then I kind of hopped on the promotions team a little bit and did a little bit of recruitment for them out in these parts. Um, I was like, oh my God, Kamikaze Records was their names. Um, wow, so it was like really looking to do and work with Asian artists, um, API um, artists. And uh, that's kind of where I kind of dabbled and dipped into the music industry mm. um partway through that i just realized like yo these cats don't know what they're doing like honestly they don't know what they're doing i could actually be going into the, the industry and making my own connects um and then that's when i actually started going out to open mics out to some you know local scenes and and start to recruit and talk to artists myself mm-hmm. um, just to kind of see where they were and then basically like they didn't have management you know just kind of like hey let me work with you for a little bit. If yeah. you like what you, you know, what I do for you, then then we started to work out that verbal side of things. And things are a lot different then than they are now. Um, but then I started working with artists, you know, and, and then started building the local, like, music scene. Um, God, over the last 15, like 20 years. Damn. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Wait, how old are you, by the <laughs> way? 43. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I had no idea. I just yeah. had... Matt Matt from the Martial Law Band on the podcast, and he's like thirty seven. I yeah, was, I would have never thought he was thirty seven either. But isn't yeah. that so weird to think that like even me, I'm I'm twenty one, and I still do the similar things that even you had to do with going to like 
entering the music scene, going to open mics, whatever it is. So that type of stuff and getting becoming involved in the community that way has not changed really. It's not changed, and and that is something that I feel like if you're trying to establish yourself, it's necessary. Yeah. You know, um, it was all about growing with your local market, right? So if you're just dipping and diving into the scene, mm-hmm. then you got to be looking at who else is dipping and diving into the scene, like right now. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many young artists who are coming up, going through programs, actually, like the Residency, Totem Star, um, youth programs that are really molding them as artists. But then from the business standpoint of things, they're having to try to operate that end, too. So yeah. if you're getting into the business as you know somebody that wants to be on the management side, um, then these are people that you could be looking to hopefully build with. Oh. You know, so you're using um, one another to really create your own creative economy. Right. So by the time you end up five, 10 years down the block, then you you all have come up together and you've built the mm-hmm. network together um, and you come up together. So it's almost like what you and I did yeah. with this whole two and a half years. Right. Yeah. Um, Ground Zero Radio really wasn't in, in existence. Um, we were just like kind of sort of filling the market. And then I literally had to adjust and adapt, learn everything and then mentor these youth through it. Yeah. Um, you had just like began your podcast Dude, my, one of, you know? we did like three episodes in one day do you remember that we don't have to say any names but remember that one guy that just came oh up? my Hi. Yeah, like the the like... tier of artists has changed so tremendously <laughs> like this one guy that we had come by this that realized this is like a boys and girls club so i'm not trying to bring anyone that's super crazy into this space yeah. to do an interview this guy and his girlfriend come baked as just Hell. like <laughs> they didn't in the building, but they definitely yeah like, they were gone like, probably in the parking lot <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was wild oh yeah that's right I totally forgot that we did like three interviews in a day yeah yeah and that's that st- that's awesome. still the move here I do like five so now I'll go from doing like five clients and then like three interviews in one day so wow. at least. At least once or twice a week, I'm in here from 9 a.m. in this space. This is a small space from like 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Wow. Yeah, so I'll come in. It's sunny outside. Come out. 9, 30 degrees outside or whatever. That's the work ethic, though, Blake, man. Yeah. That's one thing that I respected about you. And and when you reached out back then, it was almost like, all right, this – I mean, you were yeah. young. Dude, like, I was. I think I was still 18. 18. Like, yeah, 18 <laughs> That's crazy. 19. Um. And for me, being a being a mentor for so many youth, you came in with such professionalism. Wow! Like for me, I'm like, yeah, this kid is 18, but he's not 18. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, you've been already working in the industry, kind of making your connects, knowing yeah. what you want to do, being affiliated with major radio, but at the same time, like I'm not feeling that. You know, I want to create something on my own. Uh, that to me yeah. was extremely impressive, um, and I was like, yeah. I'll, I'll fuck with this kid, you know, whatever, whatever you need. And I've always said that whatever yeah. you need, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll provide whatever resources is necessary. Um, just cause I wanted to watch you grow and to know where you came from two and a half years ago. Yeah. Doc, like seriously, I haven't seen <laughs> too many people accomplish what you've accomplished in the last two and a half years. Yeah. Um, being 18 and then knowing what you wanted to pursue, knowing you don't want to drive an Uber. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and just doing it and getting to the point to where you're you're here, yeah. but then also having goals ahead of you. Like you're not done. This no. isn't where you want to stop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you have, you know, those those plans to to keep pushing. And that's why I'm like, 
yo, if you're if you're going in this business and there's anything you ever need, you know, you just reach out and we're a community. So yeah, you know, same same to you, Master. I'm, yeah. I'm your guy. Yes, it's, yes. It's uh, it's been a long journey for sure. So it's 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 interesting because I feel like it takes a certain person to want to be in management. Like I see a lot of artists go from being an artist to being a manager. Like oh, fuck, what's his name? Who's the guy that manages? Is it Shelton Harris? manages Travis Thompson or something like that. I'm not sure. so I think it might be that guy's name. I've never met the guy. But so I think that's who it is. I think Travis Thompson's manager was an artist and then became a manager to manage him. So you think you see situations like that um or even like a Dr. Dre, he kind of like in a sense maybe he's not called their manager but like you basically manage like 50 Cent, Eminem, all those guys. But but you came in wanting to be like in management and marketing? Yeah, so that's kind of where my background was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been doing these marketing internships and working with uh, event planning and things like that. Uh, then it got to the point where I was working with an artist that was a part of Kamikaze Records. Mm-hmm. And then as I'm working with them and they're in San Francisco, it became a little bit more of that development process for me. So doing the management, doing the stage management, doing the things that I felt like the artist needed for support to properly be an artist um, was where I lied. Like Mm. that's, I felt like, okay, this is where I need to be. I need to be the support person for, for artists. I don't have a, you know, (laughs) lick of musical talent myself. (laughs) Um, But once I really like honed in on that and felt like, okay, if they had this, they would be able to do that. um, And they're just not, zoned in on this then I can zone him in on that so um for me yeah it was always like let me get into actually I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack that's a lie I wasn't always about getting into music management I tell people this I was always um whatever Tom Cruise was in the next movie so I was (laughs) like (laughs) like he was in cocktails I wanted to be a bartender you know Top Gun I wanted to fly planes Uh, (laughs) Jerry Maguire I wanted to be a sports agent I think that was the nearest connection right so when I started to, I saw that movie. I was like, "Yeah, I want to be a sports agent," and then it just kind of trickled down into into music and mm. being a music agent or a music management. Um, that's kind of where it kind of the the path led. Um, throughout that whole process, I've always been a part of youth development, though, and wasn't until oh man, five maybe five six years ago, um, one of my artists ended up like getting um, a call from an organization called Melodic Caring Project. Mm. So they really changed my real purpose in the, in the music industry. And were they um, in or out? Is that out of Seattle? Or? That's, uh, they're basically, they're up north, but kind of like based out of Seattle. So oh. Mount Vernon is kind of where their home base is. Um, but what they do is they stream live music and concerts to kids in hospitals. Mm. And then throughout the duration of that concert, there's a list of names of the kids who we call the rock stars that the artists will give shout outs to like wow. throughout the concert. So if you were one of those kids who was in the hospital, they would just be like, yo, Blake, thinking about you, this song's for you. And then for, for these rock stars who are watching from their hospital beds or even at home with chronic illness, um, that just does so much for them because they feel wow. so seen. Um, and then my purpose became letting artists know that they are really superheroes they can control emotion and they can create healing for not just those who need it most but just in general right you go to a concert you're definitely feeling different right Mm -hmm. and they get you to jump when they say jump right so it's like they have this really superhuman connection um, that is very rare for 
a normal individual like myself. Um, so being a part of this particular organization really allowed me to say, hey, this is the true purpose for me to let artists know who may not realize it. And there's a ton of artists, you know, they're, they're making music, they're just making music yeah. and not completely realizing the impact that they're having, the lives that they are actually saving. So for me, I want to make sure that they're aware of that, you know, make sure that they're aware that, yes, it's great to create the music, but also know that you're doing so much more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of uh, people who get that healing from from the music that they are creating. So uh, being a part of a lot Karen project That's has awesome. been huge. You know, uh, before the pandemic, I was also able to take artists into the hospitals. So we would do the rounds and um, they would sing to the kids that wow. are in the hospitals. And it's been a very life altering organization to be a part of. Um, for sure. How do artists get to be involved with that? Um, things are a little bit different with pandemic hitting, but now we're starting to get back up into it. So um, there's melodiccaring.org. So there's ways to participate through that mm -hmm. or, you know, find ways to reach out to, to myself. And I'm pretty sure I'll throw out some, some ways to get a hold of me. Uh, and then we can kind of like definitely find out where they fit in best um, to, yeah. to be of assistance or to want to partake in um, the organization. Shit, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but see, like, even I, like, I'm not saying I'm supposed to know that existed, but, like, there's just so many cool opportunities that I feel like artists have no idea even exist, which is a little, that's that's a problem in itself, you know what I mean? Because that can help the artists, but it can also help these organizations, that yeah. I, I guess, because they need artists or whatever, you know? Yeah, so. for sure. And there's tons of tons of them out there, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of doing research like anything else. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with nonprofits, it's hard for the visibility to take place. So sometimes artists don't even realize what is in existence and how they can um, contribute uh, to organizations that are doing the good through music. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's all a matter of research, taking a little bit of time and and punching that in the, the little Google search, and you might find some stuff that you want to be yeah. a part of, you know. Do you think it's possible for artists to pay their bills in Seattle, even if it's like just rent? That's it's a great question, and it's dependent on the mentality of the artist, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Um, so I've worked with artists who decided not to tour because they were making more money here. Mm. Um, of course, the scope has changed a little bit just because of what we, you know, have gone through with the pandemic. Yeah. But there's artists, you know, that were under my camp that was gigging four or five times a week locally mm -hmm. and getting enough to pay the bills. They weren't they weren't having to get a side job, drive, mm -hmm. drive Lyft, drive Uber, whatever it might be. They were just gigging and, and making the money. Um, so it's, but it is, there's also elements to that too, you know, healthcare is another thing. It's like, all right, we gotta make sure we're planning out to make sure that you're healthy enough to do these gigs. So we have to figure out exactly what, um, health benefits could look like which mm. isn't really a thing but they have to really set aside and figure out how they want to make sure that they can take care of a hospital bill if it comes about um there's also programs for that too when it comes for for musicians but in seattle yeah i mean if wow. you do the research you know you can def there's organizations out there that assist um artists in in that respect um but yeah i mean it really depends there's there's some who decide Nah, if I do that, I'm just going to saturate my market right. and then I'm not going to be able to play a bigger venue um, or do the things that I want to do as a as a musician. And that could always be like touring. So mm -hmm. it really is dependent on the artist. I feel like if they wanted to not leave their region mm -hmm. and pay the bills, I've seen it happen. Um, 
pre-pandemic. Right. And like I said, I, the, the scope right now is so different that um, the venues that were paying musicians to be there weekly aren't necessarily doing it right now because they yeah. themselves are kind of suffering through it all. Um, but I've seen it happen in the past. Does that matter like on the genre? Because I feel like, do you remember, do you remember the Wiggles? Yeah, <laughs> like if you're the Wiggles, I feel like that's a no-brainer, right? <laughs> like you could be scoring some bank. Yeah, the Wiggles. But uh, like, I guess they because they probably don't even care about saturation. I right? bet. Like I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch. I was actually, you know, what's funny? I used to. I Robot was like one of my favorite movies growing up when I was like, that came out like 20, 2005 or something. Will Smith was like my favorite actor yeah. growing up. So like Shark Tales, all those movies. And I watch them. I feel like most kids like watch movies like. I'd watch them like 20 times in the week. So I know as a kid, I probably wouldn't mind seeing the Wiggles however many times. Can't oversaturate a kid. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a market for that, I guess. There is. There's um, actually the lead singer from the President of the United States um, created this alter ego as Casper Baby Fans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, man, that dude can can gig, you know, kid parties all he wants to Mm -hmm. um, and not oversaturate himself. You know, yeah. right? But I guess you can't. So only certain genres can do that, and I guess that's a road you have to go down. Yeah. Like, can you go from doing kids' birthday parties to becoming, I don't know, Little Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Well, that's definitely not the uh, intended route, I would say, but anything is possible. Um, uh, Yeah, I think as far as genres are concerned, it's really dependent on um, what your repertoire is. I'm going to say uh, gigging locally in the club bar scene, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to like really stack up your your covers. Um, Yeah. Can you, I thought you make like, maybe it's just because it was like my first time. I remember I just made like, for one of my DJ gigs, it was like only $50. So it's, but is that common? Like, if you're going to gig four times a week, are you only making... Well, I guess it depends how big of an... I don't know how it's that works. It's about knowing your worth. Yeah. Um, the only thing that really sucks is when other artists that are coming up that aren't familiar with their worth right. will end up underselling themselves and undercutting themselves, and then certain venues will hire based upon that rate. Mm. Um and then that kind of ruins it for the more established artists who are getting more than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it is really knowing what your worth is, knowing how you should be approaching a local gig um, and how you cannot uh, basically offend any of the artists who might have been gigging in that spot because they were getting paid more to do it. But now right. the venue just decided, oh, we're going to start with this. You know, This is now our our payment because this artist over here decided that they were going to get paid that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about knowing your worth, knowing what people are getting paid in that, doing your research, you yeah. know, like, hey, what are y'all making in there? Making sure that you don't undercut anybody just to get a gig. Yeah. You know. So are, is being like a DJ and being an artist like total different realms or do they kind of fall into the same? I don't think so. Um, some people will say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. There's an artistry to to being a DJ, right? Um, and I know a lot of DJs who have come up in the scene having to do similar things that an, a musician would have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they definitely got like got another worth, right? So going in and doing a gig for 50 bucks, depending on what that gig is, yeah. um, if that is something for you to get your feet wet and it is with uh, 
like a homie hookup kind of situation where like, hey, like we're gonna, you know, pay you fifty bucks to come do this for us. Yeah. Um, then I think that's you know, that's dependent on the actual DJ themselves. Mm-hmm. But as you start to like really get advanced in your craft, then it's really about knowing what your worth is, right? So mm-hmm. at that point you're not gonna be you're you're gonna be worth more than fifty bucks, right? So it's knowing how to research, networking with other DJs in the market, creating some type of a community that you know exactly what a DJ is worth, right? Uh, and then also building it to where almost where gig shares are coming across, right? So if a DJ can't do a gig, you, they can call you up. They respect you enough, and they know that you're professional enough not to really screw them over. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's some gig sharing that can take place as well. But it's very much from the standpoint of being a musician as well, right? There's gig sharing that happens there too. Yeah. Um, I've known plenty of artists who are like, yo, I'm booked on this day, just got an offer here. Um, I'll refer you all over, you know, kind of a thing. But that's really being respectful in your market, um, really doing the networking to get yourself immersed into that particular community Mm -hmm. so that they don't look at you as an outsider, just like coming in, who's this new kid trying to take these gigs kind of a situation. Yeah. Um, It's building the community, right? Yeah. I see that a lot with um, DJs especially. Um, not saying specifically from experience, just being an outsider. Um, especially when I was working at the radio station, um, a lot of DJs seem like they're older, mm-hmm. that have like been, who are able to gig the most. And I feel like DJing itself doesn't change, but the music changes, so it's not that hard to stay tapped in on how to be a good DJ. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if a newer DJ tries to enter a scene, the older DJs are like, "This is this has become my livelihood." Mm-hmm. And you probably have a day job or whatever, so why would I probably give you these? It's like these a slots? gatekeeping kind of situation. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I can definitely see that happen for sure. Uh, but then you know, I mean, it's it's really like I said before, build that community so that they yeah. trust you. You know, ahead of time. I know there's been some DJs who've developed their own businesses mm. to where they bring on the young cats because they can't be at five different places. You know, then they then they just start like, all right, this is the gig, go do it. You know, and yeah. they have like five gigs going on at the same time so some of the older djs have definitely gotten to that point where they're like i don't have to be they're playing it smart now yeah so um but it's about building like i said it's always about building that network building that community building that trust yeah man you know that makes sense so what what happened to kamikaze records is it still around oh no man they folded (laughs) yeah they folded right around the time i want to say that um like not too long after i stopped working with them Mm. they kind of folded uh, but it was like I said that that whole time frame was like, man, these guys don't—they don't know what they're doing. Um, I think their intent was like cool because they wanted to definitely push, you know, API artists. But at the same time, I just don't think that they knew exactly how to market it, mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of like didn't didn't happen. So, yeah. so what were the next steps after you left uh, that label? And you—it seems like you're still managing some artists and yeah. telling me about the thing in Mount Vernon. What? What happened in between that before uh, um, uh, Ground Zero Radio? Yeah. So Ground Zero Radio really came about when one of my artists decided, like, this man, his timing was like, couldn't have been more perfect to tell you the <laughs> truth. Like, he literally was like, yo, I'm going to give music a break, put my degree to work, um, and ended up moving to Hawaii wow. um, to go work on some, because he's, he's a mechanical engineer. Um, so there were some projects out in Hawaii that he could jump on, like, right away. Mm-hmm. Um but then the pandemic hit like a couple months after oh, he had made that decision, uh, which I was like, yo, that timing was perfect. And he was kind of my main um, main guy. His name is Michael Wassman. Um, and then while he was gone, 
such of my life was dedicated to to him mm-hmm. that all of a sudden it was like, oh shit, what am I gonna do? Yeah, you know, um, I didn't feel like I wanted to really manage anybody outside of him at that particular point. What type of music did he make? Uh, he was more on the soul tip. Nice. Um, I have to give you some of his music for sure. Yeah. Uh, but then it just became like, okay, what do I do? What do I? How do I use all the connections that I've made throughout the years? Um, and incorporate that now with the youth that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. And then that's when radio kind of like came into my mind frame. Um, actually, there's been a few on-air talents that have been pretty like supportive in that scenario. Um, oh, actually, Carla Marie and Anthony, hmm. you look great. Uh, they were on one. They were on Power Than Cube in 106. Okay. Around think... the times that you were at. Yeah, they sound familiar. Um, so they got... Actually, I don't know if I could disclose any of this. <laughs> um, but there was a big kind of thing that happened at iHeart, and you probably, you were actually one of the ones that was telling me. Like, yeah, you know, that was, like that's doing how we this. connected, first of all. Yeah. Like, we started talking about radio, and that yeah. was good time. Um, so they were a part of that whole situation when there were so many layoffs happening at um, yeah. iHeart, you know? Um, and then I, there were some political things happening in the yeah. back and uh, the station that you used to work for, and... A morning show there mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, ended up like filling the gaps at as as a morning show yeah. um, where they were. But they've done amazing things. They've made a shift over to create their own podcast um, that is uh, like on all streaming platforms. But they've adapted like hmm. really well. But I think that's just because of their ability in the industry and what they've done in the industry. And just like you, they have that um, desire and passion to create things on their own, yeah. regardless of who's backing them. Um, have really adjusted like amazingly uh so it is very possible in that whole scenario yeah so for me they were one of the ones that my youth met like at a sounders game Mm. and once i saw them light up like after meeting like those on-air hosts at a sounders game got to talking to them and they were like yeah man we you know want to want to do this um so then Carly and Anthony actually had us come to the studio so they did a we did a tour with their producer over at iheart and once they got like the youth got like a, a taste of what radio looked like yeah. in that kind of uh, capacity, then it was like okay, yeah, we could we could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, having media contacts, having music contacts, having just a whole list of you know a network that I've developed through twenty plus years, yeah. um, all of a sudden is now open to me when it comes to Ground Zero Radio. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to go into the situation completely um, on their own. It's like I have to properly plan when I'm going to reach out to these particular contacts um, so that they always have something that they could be working on. They always have an interview that they could be landing. They always have a shoot that they can be at. Mm -hmm. Um, So through the pandemic, (laughs) this is what's wild, is that my video production skills were very slim Mm -hmm. so i ended up taking an actual filmmaking class with the students at ground zero radio learned how to how to frame Mm -hmm. how to how to light all that kind of stuff so once we've actually taken that particular course at least the youth were familiar with how to shoot um Mm -hmm. and then we just started to do some freelance style shoots um and that's just kind of build up and build up and now we're getting like city contracts um we've been out like doing city you know contracted streams um we were just talking earlier 
about Seattle Restored, um, and we actually picked up that contract as well. So we're creating the the video content for Seattle Restored. Um, we just work with Seattle Theater Group, capturing more music at the Moore. Uh, we've been tapping into like various various scenarios um, where our name is just now floating around. It's been it's yeah. been wild, man. Um, there's a photographer in town, Alan Alabastro, who uh, he gets a lot of inquiries. I mean, dude is a dope dope photographer um and gets inquiries about like hey do you also do video mm-hmm. and he could you know he's like yeah i could but then now he's like hey moss y'all ever do corporate you want to do corporate Whoa. you know so now we're picking up corporate gigs um based on you know basically their catalog of things that they've created uh they're establishing themselves as true professionals much mm-hmm. like yourself yeah um while ground zero radio is a career connected learning program there's a lot of um paid gig opportunities for them that either come through Vera Project or are just coming through the pipeline now because of what we've been able to do as far as establishing our name mm-hmm. um, and then myself establishing those contacts that I've created over the last 20 years um, to make sure that I can take those music industry contacts and now like hey you know let's, let's help build the creative economy by giving these youth the opportunities to really go out and create um, so it's been really really cool to just kind of see the support that we've received over the years mm-hmm. um, and then for me to have to adapt and learn to the process as well um, if the youth are watching yeah I fake it a lot like <laughs> I, I, I've had to we all have to uh, fake it we all have bit. to fake it right <laughs> um, but I've managed to learn with them through this process uh, and have definitely acquired new skills the pandemic that never existed prior um, nothing that I mean I didn't plan on putting myself behind a camera lens at, yeah. at any point um, but then felt like I that was something that I needed to acquire that skill set Wow. so that I can help mentor these youth through the process. So it's been dope, man. There's been 10 like different departments established with Ground Zero Radio. Um, I will constantly say I'm just the old head who provides the mentorship and the resources for them to do what they do. Mm-hmm. So each department has its own lead, right? So like video production has its own lead. On Air has its own leads. Um, we do journalism has their own lead. We've got marketing, we've got social media. Everybody has their own lead. And I just kind of have to oversee to make sure that I'm providing what they need in order to succeed. Uh, but this is very gradually turning into a machine, man. Yeah. Um, we just announced our London division a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Um, working with youth right now to look to establish New York, Cali, and Hawaii. Um, so, yeah, man, we're just kind of spreading right now like, like wildfire. The ultimate intent is when we actually start to stream um, through the website uh, to have it 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So basically, when we're sleeping, London can be on air. Um, you wow. know, New York is you know ahead in time. So once London is off air, New York takes over. Hawaii's back two to three hours, depending on daylight savings. So that when we get to like an eight o'clock hour, they can take over from eight to eleven, and then we can focus on other things. Um, so the ultimate intent is to really get into these different regions, um, not only here. In the United States, but also globally, mm-hmm. so that we can become 24 hours, a legit 24 hours where we're actually streaming globally and people can hear what's going on in London, you wow. know, um, so that we can definitely push out the content that uh, can stay interesting, you mm-hmm. know, um, and hopefully provide enough of the, the culture and the scenes of these different regions so that we can all begin to understand, like, what it's like to be in New York. What's that scene like to be in Hawaii? I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize you know, what the Hawaii scene is like when it comes to, to music and other things, um, but to kind of capture that with youth out there. So uh, it's definitely grown rather quickly. Yeah. Um, 
I'm in schools now too. So we're, you know, wow. we're basically we're at Alan T. Sugiyama at Southlake. Um, so we did a whole semester there. And then those semester, the, the back end of that um, is that those particular students that I had are now interning with Ground Zero Radio on site for this semester. Uh, so it became a paid internship for them to be a part of the program after they did like training process for the first semester <laughs> of learning the ins and outs of, of radio and podcasting. So it's been dope. I mean, we've just wow. been moving. You know, it's been a fast two and a half years. You know? And how do the people who originally started Ground Zero feel about this? <laughs> some of them, I don't have all of them, you know. Um, definitely working with youth, you're going to see some that end up going to college and mm. then it's always scheduling, right? So whether or not they can still be a part of a program that they were initially a part of. Um, I do have some OGs, like there's still some remaining. Um, mm. Three. <laughs> Yeah. remaining but then again I, I'd say we started no with, I meant I meant the when you when they're out of the boys and girls oh, club out of those <laughs> man I don't know I, I I wish I talked to them but I don't um so for for me yeah. I'm not gonna lie like part of that whole intent of having the youth from the original program yeah take it somewhere else and see the scope and oh someone stayed with you from yeah Bill? oh I yeah. didn't realize that yeah as soon as as soon as they realized that I wasn't going to be there anymore. They're like, well, if you're not going to be there, what? wait, Moss, wow. can we come with you? I'm like, of course you can. So, yeah, so the originals kind of came with me. And then as they started to go, get accepted to college and things like that, we lost a few. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they think. I honestly, <laughs> like, for me, it's, it's more or less about more, more or less all actually about the youth who are involved in the program. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're growing it to the extent to where they, you know, Boys and Girls Club, whoever sees it and sees it happening, um, can credit the youth, then that's all I really care about. Yeah. You know, um, the visibility portion of it all is, is, is great, but the learning aspects of what they're getting as far as being involved and creating something and literally pioneering something. Yeah. Um, this isn't youth radio in a way that is done in schools, right? Um, I think one of the things that you that attracted you to what we were doing is that the, the vision of the youth really like mm. creating this and mm. pioneering it. And we're not in school, so we don't have to follow and oblige a school district. Mm. The youth can come on and say what they want to say. They can bring people on and have them express the things that they want to express. They can create the impact they want to create the impact. They can play whatever the hell they want to play. Yeah. Um, so from that standpoint, I really feel like uh, as long as other organizations who might have originally been involved with us are seeing that that is still taking place and that is happening, that's all that really matters to me. Mm -hmm. um, and this is just an ongoing like cycle now, right? So there'll be some, like I said, who will enter the program, leave the program with more coming into the program. Um, so this is really something that can stay afloat, uh, there's a whole pipeline of it all, right? And now we start working with other organizations and building that real community mm -hmm. of bringing other organizations in um, where I felt like previously I wasn't able to do that. Right. It was all about one organization. Mm -hmm. Now it's about like, and Vera's very much in this mentality of supporting community. Yeah. So now it's like we can work with multiple, you know, we can work with organizations who are already doing the work and then we say, hey, that fits in with what we do. Let's connect and figure out how we can do this together. Um, it's about real community building right now. That's so, what we need right yeah. now. That is yeah. crazy. So we've had tons of discussions about um, radio. So with that, what was the decision with calling it Ground Zero Radio? And 
we've talked about it a little bit, but radio means something different to you than maybe what it even means to people working in the radio industry in Seattle currently. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so radio in general has so many different departments, right? So originally when I wanted to pursue it as a radio station, it was because I wanted to get youth involved who may not want to do radio, mm -hmm. but they wanted to get involved in marketing or they wanted to get more involved in other elements of what a radio station does, mm -hmm. um, that it opened it up from not just being, originally the program was supposed to be like uh, for, for engineers, um, mm -hmm. um, recording engineers. And for me, I was like, that just that's too limiting. You know, yeah. um, I needed to make sure that I opened that up to other possibilities. Um, so when I opened it up as a radio station, then we can bring on graphic designers, marketers, on air hosts, video production, audio production, so many different components to it where that if they don't want to pursue a career in radio, they could still pursue a career in journalism. Mm -hmm. Right. They could still pursue a career in video production. They just kind of gain those skill sets with us uh, so that when they are looking to actually go into those particular careers, they're not going in blindly, right? Um, so, and then radio for me, it's all about transmission, right? Mm -hmm. So everything with transmission to me is, is radio. So um, for me, that's every element and component of what we do. Um, I will say I stuck with Ground Zero Radio because the word radio has appeal. Mm -hmm. um, if I said Ground Zero Media, I don't know if that really attracts what Ground Zero Radio would mm. do. You know what I'm saying? So I think that despite people saying radio is a dying market, I think the appeal of radio is it just feels more glamorous and sexier than um, categorizing something as just media, right? Uh, so that's where I decided to like, all right, we're going to keep pushing as Ground Zero Radio. Yeah. Um, they created the, the branding for it and actually create a pretty dope logo these some of these youth are just like super impressive um the graphic design element i'm i can't do and i'm not going to try to learn even those um those paintings that you, you brought from the old studio the mm. the graffiti was it a graffiti artist who yeah. did the Jimi hendrix and macklemore like i still get people being like whoa those are yeah. the craziest paintings i've ever seen yeah, that's actually a friend of mine in um he lives in las vegas his name's ricardo he basically he's a b-boy so he does this performance art where he paints that stuff live, um, but like dances like in between two to get the cr crowd hyped up. Yeah. Um, super dope, man. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's one that created those pieces for me. And I was like, yo, I need something for the studio, you know? Um, and he kind of created those. So it was a Jimi Hendrix and a, and a Macklemore. They're um, so good pieces. looking. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's break down what you meant by radio is dying because maybe in specific markets, some people might be saying outside of Seattle at least. Some people might be thinking you're crazy for saying that. Mm. So let's break down what you mean maybe in the Pacific Northwest especially. Yeah. When I say radio is dying, it's just something that I don't believe in. Um, for me, artists still thrive to be on radio, mm. right? But I hear that term mm. coming from people. Um, and it could be, and it's funny because it's also come from youth. Mm. And uh, for me, it's like, where do you listen to and get the top 40? Right. You know what I'm saying? How are you influenced in the music that you listen to? Um, to me, radio is still the giant when it comes to that, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's because of so many different platforms that are out right now that people can find music that I feel people are beginning to say radio is dying. It's because of that. Because you can just go and stream. Um, because you can find music readily wherever you want. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like that's why people are saying that radio is dying. Um 
I, I don't necessarily think it's happening. Otherwise, I wouldn't be starting Ground Zero Radio. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but for me, in this market alone, I mean, it, it is hard to be, I would say, a local artist in specific markets and get your music on radio. Yeah. Um, which is one thing that we're doing with Ground Zero Radio is we're trying to be only local artists. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we are supporting our, our community as much as possible, um, giving them the opportunity. And then who knows, you know, if our station gets the influence enough to where we're getting specific local artists in rotation, that that plays an impact on the top 40 stations that are here to to want to play them, then that's great. Um, I still think that there's a lot of notoriety when it comes to being on, you know, top 40 radio but you're going to hear the same thing over and over because that's just how the industry works as far as what they're putting in rotation but but in a in a messed up way i'll I'll admit even i even before the pandemic i would say that radio is dying and me being in radio i could say i could say that but then it would be hard to explain that to people but Mm -hmm. with the pandemic it would be it was way easier to show people that if you are for the case that radio is dying I think Seattle's radio is dying when it comes to community, at least, right? So, like, I could say from my experiences of being trying to int- trying to introduce local artists to like Hubbard or iHeartRadio, and mm-hmm. not or even with Casey Carter doing that, and then that that program getting shut down. Whatever, what, what was that called? Whatever she had like the freestyle morning show thing. Yeah, I can't remember the name of her show. Something, but yeah. even with that closing, you know, like without that, there was no more connection with like the community. Yeah. So you see how with all these uh, layoffs during the pandemic, radio had no connection really with the community. So mm-hmm. like if you have no support from the community and you're banking all your money on specific like radio hosts or anything, you see how much of a like, facade that's, that really is when it comes to like what the community really, really wants. So it was, it, I felt like I was kind of just being the, maybe, um, hmm. Maybe kind of maybe came off hot headed when I would be like radio's dying in Seattle before the pandemic, and then during the pandemic I'm like, hey, look at these examples. Or I'm going on Facebook, even though Facebook's a weird thing because I don't follow people on Facebook, but Facebook knows where you've been, they know where you've worked, yeah. and so it. So I would get all these notifications. Like when I was very sad during the pandemic, I'd go, I went on Facebook and saw all these people that were like either rude at me at the at the station I worked at or wouldn't give me a chance, and it would just be like, I'd be just scrolling of people being like X member of this radio station, X member mm-hmm. of this of this during the pandemic. And then you've seen radio stations struggle to get new on-air ta- talent. And then also you see, which is fucking wild to me. And this is what my biggest thing about radio stations. I really believe that they just hire within. That's what I truly believe. Maybe radio station would be like, no, that's not what's happening. Right. But like, even if you look at, Move in 92.5. They hired within when, when Jubal left, which is common knowledge now. Jubal mm-hmm. left 92.5 for, I don't I don't remember what station he's at. Do you know what station he's, he's at? He's at 106. 106 now. Yeah. Instead of hiring a whole new staff, they just switched out the third mic to become the first mic and just hired within. So They... they not only do that locally, but I feel like there are in this time mm-hmm. anyway, where there's um, DJs or on air hosts who are on our hosts here, but also on our hosts in another market. The syndication. Too. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, it, it's happening to the point where if you're not behind the scenes and see the huge layoffs and, and know what's really happening, 
you're not going to really know or understand it. You're just tuning into the radio, right? Yeah. Um, you saw it happen. I saw it happen. Um, there's a different level of it, though, for me, perspective. Mm. Um, for me, when something is dying, I'm thinking that it's, like, it's about to be completely over, right? Mm. Radio's adapted that way. I, I walked into, like, a radio station not too long ago over at Odyssey, and there was, like, two people there, like, three people there, yeah. right? And it's a huge level, right? And there's only, like, three people there. But they still managed to operate and function mm. um, at the level in which that they were beforehand as yeah. well. Um but that's smoke and mirrors, right? Because we don't we don't get to see that, or the the general public doesn't get to see that. But you bring on people who are great at their craft, who have been doing it. Um, granted, they'll probably be adding more on their plate than originally just doing one job there. Uh, but I think that's how the the world's kind of shifting anyway. I think there's so many people who have began to build their skill sets up to yeah. where they're doing multiple things at once, um, even if they're working for the same business um, back to the community thing even though like and the syndication that you're talking about yeah if Chicago, if 92.5 is no longer 92.5 it's a different channel dial in whatever city but let's say chicago mm -hmm. if 92.5 no longer exists in chicago no one in chicago's going to be that hard pressed because there's all these other radio stations that are locally supporting chicago yeah right but then when you go to seattle there's not a lot of support with the radio stations so it's just like a double-edged sword. Yeah. You're hurting the community and you're also hurting yourself because yeah. you never invested really in the community. And I feel like that's been the market in Seattle though. Yeah. Right? That's That's been the market in Seattle as far as not just radio, but industry in general. Mm -hmm. um, I've kind of seen that happen where the, the lack of support for the community mm -hmm. um, leads to the artists in the community leaving. Yeah. Right? Going somewhere else. Um, so that's just problematic all in one we really have to and this is why ground zero radio kind of exists is that we're really trying to build that community you know pool up yeah. um and make sure that anybody that is in the arts that we can build this creative economy together you know um well you're build you're building the next people who are going to run these radio stations if they choose you yeah. know and yeah. that's that's really exciting you're you're building these open-minded people who their start in radio isn't Maybe a lot of high schools don't. I was lucky enough there was a high school program for me, but a lot of people's starting radio might not even be until they're in college, mm -hmm. you know? And then at that time, you're learning how to get a job in radio in college versus if you're starting as a youth. Like, when you're starting as a youth playing football, you're not thinking, oh, I'm doing this to become an NFL player. I'm doing it out of pure passion. So you're, you're creating people who are doing this out of pure passion, and if they really love what they're going to do, they're going to eventually go on to be these people in these corporate jobs but they're going to be open-minded and have this background of doing this since they were a kid yeah exactly and that's where the legacy starts to happen right yeah so hopefully that this just becomes a pipeline for this particular market and the markets that we start to get into yeah where they really are beginning to provide the impact and and knowledge of what can be on air yeah um and that supporting your local community it's just a huge pool yeah. Right. That's a huge resource that why do we have to play the the national top 40 stuff when we have the artists here to support? Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, and, then, and for them to have that mindset going into this and take it into the corporate world of radio yeah. and saying, no, nah, we did this over there. And by supporting the artists that are in our community, yeah. you know, then hopefully that can kind of change uh, the scope of what they do in in corporate radio you yeah know, and having them actually 
start to support their local communities. Um, yeah. Jeez, that is that is so exciting. That's just, <laughs> just to see how you've grown and be like, yeah, I know him. He's out of the Vera project now. You know, that's that's fucking. It's wild. been wild, man. Two and a half years. And just uh, it's still not out. I really need to fucking get this out. But the the, the music video we did together, like I those 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 group of people are some of the most dear people to me in in Seattle mm-hmm. and media, from my camera crew to the artists and and you and to have everyone in the same room to create art. Yeah, man. Was that was so special and. I, I think no matter when I put it out, it's it's going to be special no matter what, and I think people are really going to see that. For sure, like yeah. and that's and that's all homegrown, man. You know, from who you're working with, uh, artist wise and, and behind the scenes, it's like it's all homegrown. Yeah, um, and that's what made it special. You know, and the people are going to experience that when they see it. Yeah, it's like yo, that's that's representing you know where we are. So, well, is there anything else uh, you'd like to to go over before we? Get out of here. Anything you want to promote? Oh, man. I can I can talk, talk, and talk. Just be on the lookout. You know, Ground Zero Radio, at GZ Radio on Instagram, uh, gzradio.org on uh, the website, which will get launched here soon. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just, just be on the lookout. And anybody that was looking to possibly come in for an interview or do an in-studio performance with us, um, hit us up at GZ Radio, or you can hit us up at Ground Zero Radio at theveraproject.org. There we go. This has been the NAS podcast with Mas, Maso, Masao, Masao. And we did it.